0: Mark chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning as we continue on in our sermon series through the gospel of Mark. We are out of the first chapter, so progress is being made. A couple of announcements as we get started here this morning. Don't forget that we are in the middle of our Thanksgiving turkey drive uh, fundraiser, so we are accepting donations for that. Uh, money will go to East and Human Needs to help out people in our community less fortunate than us. Also, we have a potluck coming up next week after our second service, and so there's a sign-up sheet in the credenza uh, in the hallway. And so if you would, think about what you could donate and bring and contribute to that, uh, and we would love to see you there tomorrow. Um, so Mark 2, we're in the first little section here in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, uh, if you would read with me. And when he, being Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even, at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, "'Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone?' And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, "'Why do you question these things in your hearts?' Now, one of the things that stands out to me about this passage is when the four men lower uh, this man into the room, Jesus, he says, uh, sees their faith. Notice that word, their. Jesus sees their faith. It's the faith of the four men which ultimately leads to the paralytic man being forgiven and being healed. And I wonder if you've ever known somebody or if you've ever met somebody whom you wish that you could believe for them who you wish you could exercise faith on their behalf to get them to Jesus, to get them close to Jesus, to have them receive healing from Jesus. These four men uh, wanted nothing more than, their, than for their friend to, to be healed, from their friend to, to receive the life that Jesus had been giving to other people. And they, no matter what the obstacle were, um, were able to get this guy to Jesus. Jesus is in his home here in Capernaum. Uh, We remember Jesus has this kind of base home in the city of Capernaum at the top of the Sea of Galilee. He's been traveling around, building up a name for himself, spreading the news of the kingdom. He tries to make a quiet uh, entrance back into his house, but word gets out that he's there, and the crowds build up uh, so much so that that you can't even get inside the room. We don't know if Jesus owned a house here or if this was um, Peter's parents' house, his mother in law, and Jesus already healed, but this is kind of where Jesus stays uh, between his missions, between his journeys. And the crowds come, and we're told, the, the, maybe the first drop-in visitors ever, very literally, right? They drop in through the ceiling, the roof comes undone, they lower this guy in through the ceiling. And I wonder if you, like the four men, have ever known somebody who you so deeply wished healing for, and so deeply desired for them to, to meet and receive the love of Christ, um, that, that you would be willing maybe to do something as extreme and as radical as these four men uh, this weekend, I was at a youth retreat in Bryant, Texas, and was speaking to a group of high schoolers and middle schoolers, and met a, a kid there. We'll call him Bryce uh, for the sake of the sermon. I met Bryce. He is a seventh grader who uh, was kind of a small kid. Uh, and a couple things about Bryce. Bryce is first. You should know he is an expert on Ebola one of the world's recognized leading experts on Ebola. I, I mean, every second was a new fact about Ebola. I asked him how he knew so much about Ebola, and he said, excuse me for watching the news. And I said, okay, sorry. Maybe I should know more about Ebola uh, like you do. Uh, Bryce was also a country kid to the core. Uh, we're out in the country, and he's uh, picking up raw radishes off the ground and eating them, and I'm like, whoa, boy, this is not, <laughs> this is not healthy. He did inform me, though, that he believes in soil pollution, so he was very concerned about that as well. Um, Bryce is a smart kid. And uh, you could tell, though, that something was going on in Bryce's life, that he needed attention, and he was seeking to get that attention in whatever way uh, got him uh, what he was wanting. And uh, as I got to know Bryce, Bryce kind of decided I was going to be his buddy for the weekend. And so he would follow me around, tell me facts about Ebola and soil pollution. <laughs> and we were having a good time. And, and as I got to know Bryce, I came to uh, know kind of some troubling facts about his life. Bryce had some big... Um, problems in his life. The first one, and, and really the, the primary problem in Bryce's life, was his family life. Uh, Bryce only has two living relatives alive right now, his older sister and his grandmother. Um, and so he, he lives with them. Uh, his older sister is uh, probably has as many problems as Bryce does dealing with life. His grandmother is kind of a negligent caretaker, um, not able to take care of the two of them. And Bryce does not know his father, never knew his father, and then found his mother's body last year after she had OD'd. Uh, He was the one who actually walked into the room and and then found the body. And so they come to the church because the grandmother wants free babysitting, which is fine, right? As a youth pastor, as a pastor, we'll take it, right? We'll feed them, and we'll love them, and we'll tell them about Jesus, and that's fine for us. Um, So it's free babysitting for them. And uh, as I got to know Bryce and and got to kind of feel a little bit of his pain and and look into the future and wonder about the future for Bryce— I had this deep feeling like hurt and sympathy and empathy for this kid. And I wanted him so badly to receive the love of Christ and to be healed from Christ and and to be touched and to um, receive uh, all the things that Jesus has come to give us. Now, if I'm honest with you, Bryce did not have this big life transformation over the weekend, okay? I doubt he remembers anything from my sermons. He was probably making fart jokes to his buddies, okay, during the sermons. If he remembers anything about me, it will probably and hopefully be that there's a speaker who's nice to him. Right? And he was his friend and he was his buddy for a weekend. Um, but as I read this story in Mark, I, I kept thinking over it uh, this weekend as I was talking to Bryce and, and, and kind of feeling like, man, I wish I could believe for him. Like I wish my faith was enough to get him to Jesus, um, was, was enough to get him to, to receive this, this moment of healing, and this moment of clarity uh, with the Lord. Um, there are a couple things that we can do when we come to the scriptures and, and look at them. And study them, particularly in the Gospels, one of the things we can do is we can read a story in the Gospels and we can look at it from Christ's perspective, which is what we did last week with the story of the leper. We can ask ourselves, what can we learn about being human from the way that Christ is acting? We're called to be Christ-like. We're called to act like Christ. So, What can we learn from the story? Um, Another strategy you can use in reading the Gospels and applying it to your lives is to look at other characters in the stories interacting with Jesus and ask yourself, what can we learn from their reactions and what can we learn from their actions? What are some things we can imitate from what they did or didn't do? What are some things we can avoid that they did or didn't do? And so this morning I want to look at three people, okay, three characters in the story around Jesus and look at three lessons that I think they have for our lives here. We'll look at the paralytic, so the man who's lowered down through the roof. We'll look at the scribes who get into a kind of argument with Jesus here. And then we'll look at the four friends And I think each of them will have a lesson for us as we follow Christ. Now, the paralytic man gets brought into the room. We're not told much about him, what his emotions are, what his feelings are. Maybe he's hopeful that he will get healed by Jesus. Maybe he is kind of disillusioned and has given up on life and his four friends are bringing him anyways. Um, We don't know if it was his idea to go to Jesus or if his friends are making him go to Jesus. We just know he gets lowered into the house and all of a sudden is in the spotlight. is in front of Jesus. And you'll notice that Jesus' words to him are a little bit odd he walks up to the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, at first glance, it might be appropriate to think Jesus is referring to the hole in his roof, right? That he's responsible for. It. Hey, don't worry about the hole. We'll cover it. He says, your sins are forgiven. And you've got to wonder if this man wants to, to maybe kind of slap Jesus in the moment, right? Or, or kind of go, look, I've got a different problem than my sins. My problem is not that I need to be forgiven. But the problem is that I can't walk. I'm lame. I'm paralyzed. Jesus comes up and he addresses a different need than the perceived need that the paralytic had. But the paralytic did have a need for his sins to be forgiven. He did have a a greater need than even his lameness. I think from the paralytic, the the lesson for us is we need to realize our deepest need. We all, like the paralytic, maybe on lower levels, have needs in our lives. Have ailments that we need to be healed of, have relationships that need to be restored. Have all these different problems in our lives, or all these goals in our lives that we want to achieve or want to reach or want to get fixed in our lives. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all called to recognize, like the paralytic, that our deepest problem, our, our most ultimate need, is the fact that we are sinners, the fact that we live in a world of sin, the fact that one day this world of sin will culminate in our lives and, and the, the fact that we'll die. And we need someone who will defeat death for us, who will save us from death this is indeed what Christ has come to do, what he does on the cross and through the resurrection. Um, we all have needs, but the, the most ultimate, most um, deepest need is that of our sin. Uh, is that of our, our, our deaths is that of our uh, eternal destinies. And these are the needs that Jesus comes to meet here. Um, now that is not to say that our needs right now are not important. And I hesitate to almost even make this point. Cause we live in a culture where we, um, kind of deny our, our physical and, and temporary needs right now. And we, get embarrassed about healings and about Christ working and healing through people and and things like that. And and I want to say with the Gospels, that's, that's true and that's real. And the Spirit does work and move through people and heals people dramatically. And so it's not that those things aren't important. It's not that it's not important for the lame man to receive the ability to walk. It's that it wasn't the most important thing in his life. Even if the lame man received the ability to walk but continued to walk in darkness with his sins not being forgiven, ultimately... He hasn't been fully healed. He hasn't been fully touched. You can think through this with any sickness, with someone with cancer or any sickness here in the gospel stories. Jesus heals the leper. He heals the leper, but, but this is a temporary healing. These people will die eventually. I mean, even if you have cancer right now and you get healed from it, right? And, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong to pray for that and to expect that and for God to work through that. But it's not like an eternal healing. It's a temporary thing. And I do think God does that. And I do think it's important to pray for that and seek for that. But ultimately, as Christians, we're called to, to realize that Jesus has addressed our deepest, most ultimate need. That our sins have been forgiven. That one day death itself will be defeated and we'll be raised up on the other side of that. We've got to avoid the tendency to use Jesus as a stepping stone to get to what we really want. So, so often, if, if we're the paralytic, what we really want is to be able to walk. And we think that all of our problems in our life are associated with the fact that we can't walk. If we could only walk, then everything else would be perfect in our lives. And other people who are already walking can tell you, (laughs) not everything's perfect if you can walk. I get it, it stinks not to be able to walk, and it would be better if you could walk. But even if you could walk, you would still have lots of problems in your life. Wait two months, or three months, or four months... And you'll be complaining about something new, right? There'll be some kind of new problem. Surely any of us who have hoped for that job promotion or have hoped for this sickness to to be done with, who have hoped for this relationship to be restored, have gotten that thing eventually and realized this wasn't as life-changing as I thought it would be. Life is still life and I'm still me and these problems still remain here. Um, and there's always this temptation to use Jesus as just a stepping stool to get to what we really want. But as Christians, what, what we're trying to do is realize that what we really want or what we really need is not something or something in our life, but it's Jesus himself. We don't use Jesus to get something. We get Jesus. We get his forgiveness. We get his life. Um, and oftentimes that comes with healing. The paralytic man does get healed. That's an important part of the story. But Jesus comes and addresses his most ultimate need first which is need to be forgiven. There's an author who uh, used to write for a New York magazine, Cynthia Heimel, and she wrote about a uh, few celebrities that she had known over the years and wrote about their transformations. So she had known them as struggling actors or actresses working in a restaurant, trying to scrounge up enough money to pay their rents. Um, and, and she had <clears throat> known them during the time when they transformed from this nobody who was barely making it into this famous, famous, famous celebrity. And she writes about their transformations and writes about how often it is you have people who make it in life with whatever the category might be, at their jobs, their personal level of success, their fame. They make it and yet they're still miserable or yet more miserable than they were before they made it. Um, I can think just real recently, right, of Robin Williams' suicide, a celebrity who brought so much joy to so many other people, but yet still battled these demons of depression uh, and anxiety um, perhaps worse after he got all his fame. And, and we think, surely if we had that much fame, right, if people loved us that much, and if we had that much money, right, I mean, all our problems right now would be so silly, would be so stupid. But the few people who do reach those levels, right, they're still, they're still in, in search of what only Jesus can provide for us. And so she writes this article about celebrities, and she gives this kind of stinging critique of the few that she's known in her life. And I'll read it for you, uh, a couple of quotes. She writes, I pity celebrities, I really do, Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now, she says, their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked and they pushed. But the morning after they achieved it, the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and with happiness, it happened. But nothing changed. They were still them. And the disillusionment that turned them into howling and insufferable people was actually the act of achieving their goal. And she ends the the article with this quote. which is really kind of a scary thing to think about. She says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish that one thing that you think would make your life perfect. And he grants it to you and you get it and you realize this isn't where life is found. <clears throat> this isn't where meaning's found. This wasn't enough. This isn't addressing my ultimate biggest problems, my biggest concerns, my biggest issues. It sounds almost like a verse from the book of Ecclesiastes to me. You have Solomon who gets everything you could ever want in life and at the end of it he still says, I still haven't found what I need. The, the U2 song, right? I'm, I still haven't found what I'm searching for, what I'm looking for. I've gotten as high as you can get on every level as you can get and it's still not there. There's still something greater and deeper and more powerful out there that I'm looking for. The paralytic invites us to recognize that even though temporary healing is important, Even though it's a true and real thing. And if you're sick, you should be prayed for. And you should pray for healing. You should pray for faith. And if there's relationships that are broken, you should pray and work for restoration. If there are problems and poverty and abuse in people's lives, you should work to overcome those. That even though that's true and good and important, there's still ultimately, at the end of the day, for all of us, a much deeper need. A much deeper problem and concern. And that problem and concern has been addressed and defeated by Jesus. There was one week, um, or one day, this weekend one, one afternoon where I was talking to Bryce, my little buddy, and, and I asked him, if you could get anything in the world, what would you want? And I was kind of expecting some answer about a gun or something, right? A toy, I don't know. And he, he looked up at me, he's a little kid. But he's a real little kid. And he looked up and he said, I would love to meet my real dad. And you just kind of like, oh, right in that moment. Like, that just hurts in the <laughs> core of who you are. And I, I mean, I've always kind of been like this. I'm just an empathetic person. I feel others' pain, and so I'm kind of like, I'll adopt you, kid, right? We'll adopt you as a church. We'll put a little house over there. we got some room. <laughs> we'll use our renovation money. We'll put a little shack over there, and you'll just be our church kid, right? We'll, yeah. we'll take care of you. And because I just want to be my real dad. And and, and there's a lot of, of me right, who, who wants him to meet a real dad, who wants him to have a real dad and right? wants him to have real parents. But even then, I know people who, who have dads or have good parents who still have big issues. Right? I know even to address that issue in Bryce's life would not ultimately address his deepest need, his deepest concern. Which is that he's been born into a world of sin, has already started to participate in it himself and experience it himself. And will one day die as a result of this world and of our consequences and he needs someone who can bring him healing, not just now, but ultimately and eternally. And so Bryce needs to learn the lesson that we learned from this second group, the scribes. So from the paralytic, we learn to recognize our deepest need, which is forgiveness and death to be conquered. From the scribes, I want to suggest we learn that we need to recognize who Jesus is. That he is the authoritative son of man here. The scribes are upset when Jesus uh, says he forgives this man of their sins, and they're upset because of The charge of blasphemy. Now, already we have the cross overshadowing um, the passage. Jesus will eventually die because of this charge, this accusation. You are blaspheming. You are saying things that are untrue about God that only God should be able to say and be able to do. And so they say in their spirits, right, why does he say these things? Only God can forgive sins alone. Um, There's a little bit of irony in this as Christians read this passage, right? They're kind of right. (laughs) Right. Only God can forgive sins, but as Christians we believe that Jesus was God. He was God there right among them, and he was forgiving them of their sins. If only they knew how true their statement was, right? It's true only God can forgive sins. Only the person who sinned against can't forgive somebody. This is just like a basic um, truth of life. If Bowers and I are out and we're at a Bible study, not a bar, but we're at a Bible study, and someone comes up and punches Bowers in the face which actually happens more often to Bowers than most people. Uh, I can't then forgive that person for punching Bowers. I can't say, hey, you know what? We forgive you for hitting him, right? He has to be the person. He was the one who was sinned against. He has to be the person who says, I forgive you um, for hitting me. In the same sense, right, our sin ultimately is against God. Only God himself can forgive us. And Jesus here, God in the flesh is offering forgiveness of sins. The scribes, though, they're upset because... Not because necessarily they think the, that Jesus is blaspheming here. The, the true blasphemy is that Jesus is doing this and the temple's not. So the scribes think you go to the temple in Jerusalem to get forgiveness of sins. It's about control and power. A wandering prophet doesn't just get to forgive people of their sins. You go to a priest to do that. The priest will say that on behalf of God. Not some man in Capernaum in the middle of this crowded room. But Jesus, as he'll do over and over again, senses um, the need to replace the entire Jewish system with himself. He replaces the temple's need with himself. He replaces the need of the scribes with himself. It's his teaching that has authority. It's his forgiveness that has authority. He is God in person dispensing these things. He calls himself here the Son of Man, which is an important title. Uh, Jesus himself will call himself the Son of Man more than any other title. This is his favorite title for himself. Uh, on the uh, entire Gospels, in the entire Gospels, only Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, to describe himself. When other people are talking about Jesus, they usually use the word Christ or Messiah or Son of God or Rabbi or Teacher. For Jesus, though, the title comes from Daniel 7, which is an important passage where Daniel envisions this future king who will come and slay all the beasts that um, are currently oppressing the earth. And will be given the kingdom of God and set up the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus seems to think he's playing out that vision in real life. He is this son of man who's come and who's been given authority over the world and who's slaying all the beasts that are currently oppressing God's good creation. And he gives him this riddle, he says, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, pick up your mat and walk. Um, what's funny about this riddle is you know it's a good riddle because thousands of years later, people still don't know the answer to this question. Uh, you read the best Bible scholarly commentaries out there, and you'll get them writing 10 pages on this riddle, and the end of it going, we don't know which one's harder. Or you'll get one commentary saying this one's harder, another commentary saying this one's harder. in um, the the story, it seems like Jesus is suggesting that it's harder to, to heal somebody, right? It's cheap talk, right? Anyone can say your sins are forgiven, um, but it's it's much harder to say, get up and walk, can have someone actually get up and walk in front of them. So he does that uh, to prove that he can do something less difficult, right? Which is just, just simply say that your sins are forgiven. But if you think about it, um, it's actually probably much harder to forgive some of their sins, especially of their sins against God, right? If you can affect that, if you can make that happen in someone's life, this is a more powerful thing. Um, this is a much harder thing. We know as Christians, that this uh, life Jesus leading is going to lead up to the cross, it's ultimately going to take a lot more out of Jesus to get us forgiven than it is to just say to a man, get up and walk. Um, in the first century, there were healers, just like there are healers now, people who perform miracles and heal people and do wondrous works. And so um, we're not quite sure what the answer is here to this riddle. It's—it's it's, For me, I can tell you both of them are hard. right? I can't forgive people of their sins, um, but I have yet to make a, a paralytic man stand up and walk. Um, but he says... So that you would know that I have authority as the Son of Man, so that you would know who I am. I'll both forgive him and I'll heal his paralyticness. And he rises up and he stands up and walks. And, like the scribes, you and I are called to learn <coughs> that Jesus is the one who can meet all of our needs. Our temporary ones right now for, for ailments to be healed, sicknesses to be healed, um, our, our temporary difficulties and needs right now for relationships to be restored. For abuse and oppression and poverty to be ended and he's also the one who is here to meet our most ultimate and deepest needs of sin and of death um for bryce i have to recognize right that that ultimately i can't fix his life ultimately the church can't fix his life um if we if we can right we can make temporary improvements right now um, but who bryce really needs is, is the one who can heal who can ultimately heal he needs the authoritative son of a man in his life Bringing healing power on him. Which leads us to our third lesson. Like the paralytic, we need to recognize our deepest need is sin and forgiveness. Like the scribes, we need to recognize that Jesus is the authoritative Son of Man. And then like the four friends, we need to become a community of healers who bring people to the one who can heal them. I love these four friends here uh, who, who carry this guy up through the roof. We don't know how far they carried him to the house. He can't walk. They pick up his mat. And these four friends are so determined to get their friend help. Uh, they get there and they realize that they can't get in because of the crowd. And so they're trying to think of, of ways that perhaps I get him in to, to see Jesus. And they climb up on top of the house and, and start tearing apart the roof and lowering him in here. The, the brothers remind me of, or the, the four men remind me of frat brothers. And um, both their loyalty to their friend and their disregard for personal property. <laughs> right? I mean, they are determined no matter what, there's no obstacle in their way um, that's going to stand and keep them from getting their friend to meeting the one who has the power to heal him, who has the power to address his needs. And that's who you and I are called to be in the world around us. We're called to be a community of people who, who find those who need Jesus' healing power and who won't stand for any obstacle getting in the way of them meeting Christ, them meeting Jesus' healing power. Um, the faith that they show here, the faith that Jesus sees, Jesus sees their faith, it's the kind of faith that doesn't care about obstacles, that says, I believe there's a person who can heal, and I'm going to get my friend to this person, no matter what comes in the way, uh, no matter what might come and try to block my road here. Now, a theologian, Theodore Jennings, defines faith from this passage in this way, and I love this quote. He says, Faith is a holy impatience, this all-out, go-for-broke determination that the lame be made to walk. Faith is a holy impatience, this all-out, go-for-broke determination that those who are lame should be made to walk. And again, I ask, who in our lives do we know who we yearn for healing for? Do we, do we feel it in our own bones and we just wish that they would would be able to meet the one who can heal them? And we know that we can't heal them, right? There's times that when we wish we could. There's times when I wish for Bryce, right? So Bryce doesn't have this transformative event in his life. He's a seventh-grade boy, Okay. Um, if he remembers anything from the event, hopefully he'll remember that I was his friend. Um, but but he doesn't break down and cry and convert his life to Jesus or any of those things, right? I mean, he learned more about Ebola and was able to explain and educate more people uh, and, and got away from his grandmother for a weekend. Um, there's a sense where I'm coming home yesterday and I'm in the car and I'm listening to music and I'm, I'm wishing that I could just believe for him, right? That I could just stand in the gap there. Uh, that I could could somehow override the need for, for Bryce himself to get that healing from Christ. Like it could kind of be a conduit of that. There have been some actually in church history who suggested because of this passage, um, Cyril of Jerusalem, for instance, uh, suggested that, um, some have been saved because of the faith of others. Um, that faith can be so strong that you can actually faith for other people. Um, at the very least, this passage is suggesting that your faith can be so strong that you can see to it that other people Get to Jesus with patience and endurance and determination and perseverance. These four friends weren't willing to let anything stand in the way of seeing their friend get to the one who could heal him. And you and I are called to do that in the same ways. Use our gifts. Use our strengths. We're all given different gifts and different strengths. And we're called to locate and determine the people around us who need Christ's healing and then to think through and work through and persevere through any obstacles and get them to the person who can heal them. To use our original um, strength and capabilities, to use our creativity, these these four men um, saw an opportunity to climb up on a roof. They weren't going to give up. They knew they couldn't fix this guy. They knew they couldn't meet his temporary or eternal need but they knew one who could and they had faith that he could and so they decided um to to just go all out to tear off the roof and to lower him down into the middle Um, for bryce i think through ways in my life that i can um, stand in that gap for him um so i'm I'm praying for this little guy right whatever kind of spiritual say so i have i want to use it i want to pray that god would would work in his life and and the church he's at right now is is doing this right It's trying to bring God's love to him trying to fill in these temporary needs that he has right with family um, but, but also trying to bring him to the one who will be able to meet his eternal needs uh, of sin and death and, and eternal life and we have to trust that our faith is powerful and that our faith as a community is powerful and that when four of us rally around somebody in prayer and in love and in perseverance that sometimes our faith might be the catalyst that gets them to the one who can heal them. We're called like these these four men to be a community of healers, a community of people who bring others to the one who can heal them, who can meet their their most ultimate needs in their lives. And so this morning, I ask you uh, to think about who you're praying for. I mean, if you don't have a list of people you're praying for, then, then I think you need to start one. Who who in your life? Do you know who has these needs that need to be met? And, and who are you aching for? Who are you praying for? Both these temporary needs and these eternal needs. In what ways can you, like the four men, come alongside them and work to get them to the healer? How can we lean in together as a community towards Jesus? And, and we come to the table this morning, like we do every week, and, and we'll come and participate in communion. And I want you to come this morning, like the paralytic, realizing your deepest need and realizing how it was met with Christ through his death and through his resurrection. We come to the table this morning like the scribes with the confession on our lips that this is who Jesus is. He is the healer. He is the hero. He is the savior. He is this authoritative son of man. And we come to the table this morning to commit to being a community of healers, to commit to being a community that will bring others to the table, bring others to the one who can heal them and bring them life. wish you pray with me?